so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the breaking zone! So, uh... Anyone for porridge? Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Porridge, truly the breakfast of champions. Um, welcome to episode 183 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbor, that's Mr. Andre Harrison, and um, I'm in deep pain. Deep pain for Ferrari shit in the bed once again. Like, it's not like I made any sort of bold prediction about their season last week, did I? Did I? Ooh. No? Yes? No? Maybe? Oh. You know what's funny? It's like, I got about five tweets from people after episode 181 went out on our F1 season preview saying, Oh no, Dre, you've done it again. <laughs> it's like, picking Ferrari has now officially become my brand. It It's it, it's it's very painful. I'm not proud of this, people. I'm, I'm not I'm not proud of this. It hurts. But uh, coming to join me with absinthe and pain is my drinking partner, Ryan King. Hello, sir. Whoa, whoa. I'm actually happy. I'm actually happy. Oh, you can sod off at all. <laughs> After a year in waiting, his man's has finally won a Grand Prix. Why do you like the pain so much of supporting Mercedes second drivers? Uh, I don't I don't know. Because when the win comes, it finally feels so good. I do love when Valtteri Bottas pulled... Pulled into pit lane and, you know, got out of the car. It said, Valtteri Botas's first win since. And the graphic took time to load. I'm just imagining an FOM, like an FOM uh, broadcast engineer, like, when was Botas's last win? Oh, shit, I don't remember. And he pulls this, like, it was Abu Dhabi 2017. Yeah. Abu Dhabi 2017. In other words, 15 months ago, Valtteri's last W. I'm sure we'll get into more detail about that later, but... <laughs> oh, dear. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that later, but King is actually happy because his 10 out of 10 is actually justified for just one round. You so know, he, he asked the question, why would he rate Valtteri Botas 9, 9.5, <laughs> Well, as it turns out, that's why. Ooh. <laughs> Speaking of which, my fellow drinking partner, RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Yes, come one, come all. Uh, Valtteri Botas is no longer. It is only Violent Cousin Melvin. If you've not seen the Autosport parody, uh, and even though I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that these headline generators are not randomly generated like they once were, uh, sure. but using the pseudonym Violent Cousin Melvin this season to shake off his nice guy image... <laughs> And, and then he just beats down everybody. It's it, it's amazing. It's like you grow a beard, you eat some porridge, and next thing you know, you're like this badass racing driver again after a year of downtime. See, apparently that's all it is, King. All you got to do is grow a beard. <laughs> I, I can now finally see what you were onto last week. <laughs> oh my god, no. <laughs> Was, it, was, was this a plan we didn't know about back then last weekend? Is that it? No, no. 
I don't have any plans. This uh, this stubble is just the uh, the sheer habit of laziness. <laughs> There's no plan here. To be fair, mine too, but I just I, I just can't grow a mustache. I I, I just haven't got. I, it, it's not my body's not capable of growing a Starsky and Hutch like that. It's it's uh, it's really sad. Also, I want to give a shout out on this part of the show to to, to the departure of Rory Reed from Top Gear. I'm still very sad about this. Like, it is a crying goddamn shame that this, that this past Sunday was his last episode. He is the boy. And, uh, I, like, I find it ironic that the trailer for next season involved Paddy McGuinness, Freddie Flintoff, and Chris Harris driving a hearse. I think the jokes write themselves. Mm. Quite, quite frankly. I'll, I might even write something about it on the website because I am that annoyed at how this series has turned out. A series of five episodes, the departure of Matt LeBlanc, and, and Rory Reed is gone, and I'm still very upset about this. Very upset. Rory's a good boy. Hire him for all your TV programs. He is great. Um, but that is that, that. That's all that is. Call us, this- Mister Reed. <laughs> Please. There's, there's a spot on the show for you, man. I know you like your bikes and your F1, Rory. So okay, come on that show. We you need. Know. We need the rub. <laughs> We could really do with the rub. We could. We, you can rub King Stash for good luck. Oh my um, God. Uh, in this episode of Minus One Hundred One this week, we'll be getting into the obvious Formula One season opener, the Australian Grand Prix, um, and you know some sadness and some gladness. Valtteri Bottas's first win in fifteen months, and of course the very sad passing of one Charlie Whiting, which we'll get to in a few minutes' time. And all the action up and down the field. A lot of a lot of stories to take away from that weekend, on a minor level at least. We'll also be getting into World Superbikes in Thailand as Avara Bautista goes six for six, and everyone just sat there with solemn looks on their faces, going, "Guys, did we really want this?" <laughs> and and we'll be breaking down some of the details to why that could be problematic going forward. And we'll also be talking about the Sebring 12 hours and the 1,000 miles of Sebring as well. All the endurance races in Sebring. All of them. Bumps, curves, Brendan Hartley on the podium, and uh, Neil Yarny basically taking his ball and going home. Um, we'll also be getting into the news as Moto E is literally on fire. I think rumours it's still on fire as we speak. Um, and Kyle Busch taking his 200th career NASCAR National Series win and pissing off all the old school Richard Petty fans. Fun times for all involved. And we'll also preview this weekend's action as we'll be getting into the IndyCar Classic at the... What says here? The, the China of the Americas? You Discord people are funny. Um, and Formula E as well in, and I quote, the Florida of China, according to RJ O'Connell. See, it's witty. Um, <laughs> places you can find us real quick. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to find our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, and at Ryan Eric King. If you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to this show at least 24 hours before general release. Um, as well as the $10 level, which gets you into our Discord Service Supporters Club, where you can listen to these shows live as they go out. Shout out to Cam and Rezzy in the Discord for listening as always. And shout out to our new $5 Patreon backer, Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Thanks for backing us, man. Much appreciated, sir. All that and a lot more as well. Remember, if you're back at the new $15 level, we'll, I'll send you a t-shirt somewhere. Who doesn't, who doesn't love a good free t-shirt for 15 bucks? I call it a good value, quite personally. 
Um, but yes, um, all of that and much more on our website, motorsport101.com. So, after this quick musical interlude, let's get into the 2019 Formula One Australian Grand Prix. Now, before anything else, um, you probably heard my editor's note I put in episode 180. I think it was an 81. It came 181, out yes. Yeah, cheers, RJ. Um, and yeah, um, sadly, if you didn't listen to that episode, we recorded that episode on the Monday, actually on the Tuesday, actually, but it, and it was two days before the tragic news of Charlie Whiting's passing came through. Um, so obviously we missed that. So if the podcast seemed a little bit upbeat by the release, that was because we genuinely didn't know at the time what was happening. And of course, that's probably the biggest, the biggest thing about it was just the sudden shock of it all. I think it was Thursday morning um, before the weekend had started officially that uh, shock news had dropped in, in, I think it was late. I remember it being late Wednesday, early Thursday morning my time in the UK when it when the, the news, I got it from Andrew Benson on Twitter had first come through that um, Charlie Wright had shockingly passed away um, at the age of 66. And I mean, he's one of the real faces of this sport no matter which way you look at it um you know a motorsport director formula one race director had been in the sport um as a mechanic um i think, I think it was with heskiff king and i think he won a couple of championships with bernie as well didn't he yes that uh he started out as a mechanic at heskiff uh moved over to be a mechanic at uh at Brabham, eventually got promoted all the way up to chief mechanic at Brabham, won two world championships at Brabham, and then after Brabham, you know, most of the Brabham staff went to go work at the FIA. Indeed they did, and yeah, in 1988 he became technical delegate to the F1's sports governing body, the FIA, and he was director and safety delegate in 97. Um, and yeah, like even beyond any of the jobs here, like we know him as the race director guy, and he, like I, I think that's just stands out more than anything else. Is that I've been watching F one since I was a child, and Charlie Whiting has always been there. He's always been that guy, and I've been watching since the late nineties, and he's always been like one of the real faces that runs the place, and. I don't normally recommend Sky TV coverage for obvious reasons, but Sky Sports F1 put out a, a wonderful tribute um, for him um, during their coverage of the race weekend, featuring guys like Martin Brundle and 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 um, Bernie Eccleston talking in depth. And you could, I've, honestly, I've been watching F1 for over 20 years. I don't know about you, King. I've never seen Bernie choke up like that before over anybody. Oh, no. This, no. I've never seen Bernie that emotional over anything or anyone to do with F1. So to see him like that um, goes to show you just how important the figure Charlie was, but also just a, how big a friend and, and friend of the drivers, friend of the technical directors, friend of the paddock. And just one of the real important guys that enables us to go out and enjoy racing. And that's Charlie Whiting, more than anything else. I mean, what an, inc- an incredible figure and one of the real faces of the sport. I mean, King, have you got anything more you want to add to this real quick? I don't know. It's 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 hard to add anything else to say because, I don't know, it, it, it 
still feels very, very sudden. It does. I mean, as I said, it was ju- it was a preliminary embolism, and it just it just completely came out of nowhere. It, it was just one of those things where it's it, it's it's still a shock that he's just not going to be there. And as 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 Resi points out in our Discord chat, this is race number nine hundred ninety eight. We're only two away from a thousand, and Charlie's not going to be there for it. And that's really quite sad because he's been he's been a massive part of the sport for four decades. Um and now he's gone, and that's really sad. And like I said, two pieces I want to recommend. That Sky piece is one, and the other one was Will Buxton on the F1 Paddock Pass video um, on F1's official YouTube channel, where again I've never seen Buxton that choked up over Charlie before as well. Because what stood out to him more than anything else was he loved racing. He loved racing, and he was and he was adamant and dedicated and fierce and passionate about making the sport a better, safer sport for us all to enjoy. And we owe an awful lot to Charlie as race fans. So, on behalf of everyone here, um, rest in peace, Charlie. And uh, thanks for everything, buddy. And uh, it's been a pleasure to watch you and, and have an influence on the sport that we love so much. So, getting into the nitty-gritty of the race in itself. Wait. The other Mercedes one? <laughs> well, well, I think we should start a story. Qualify. <laughs> Go on, gang. <laughs> because who, who? It. We we got a hint of what was going to happen in the race and qualifying, but oh yeah, uh, it was kind of a half-hearted hit. Where during the middle of Q three, Botas puts down a flyer of a lap where he's, I believe. What half a second ahead of Hamilton? Yeah, it was yeah. it was the first lap in the one twenty range, and yeah. Hamilton had it was, to pull. It was pull, a track record. Yeah, yeah, he had to pull everything out of the back just to beat it by a tenth of a second. <laughs> and yeah, it, it was pretty crazy. And yeah, it it was quite shocking how I would say. Down the grid is a bit of an over-exaggeration, but how behind Ferrari were. Yeah, Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel was third, Charles Leclerc was fifth. We had all penciled Ferrari in as at least second-best team going into this weekend, going off testing. And in a very similar story to last year, Sebastian Vettel was third, but he was point seven behind Lewis Hamilton on, on the second row. And everybody was bemused. Just like last year. Remember that last year when, when again, everybody thought Ferrari... Ooh, Ferrari might be really close this year. First weekend comes along. Hamilton obliterates everybody on pole position for by six temps. And it was almost a carbon copy of that this year. It was actually quite scary. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I still remember, like, after qualifying... I think, I think no, it was actually it was after Friday practice one and two where Sebastian was being interviewed and he says, what was all this bullshit about Mercedes being so slow in testing? <laughs> so like, and, and I just said on Twitter, well, Sebastian's out here just speaking for all of us. <laughs> you know you uh, know what goes good in a church is stained glass. And you know what glass is made out of? That's right, heated up sand. Yeah, the heated up sandbag was, was, let, was, let, was let off the leash by Mercedes. And like... Like, I, I, I'd like to have a public service announcement here. 
Mercedes, could you please stop lying about the quality of your car, please? You don't gain any bonus points by surprising people. You know that, right? Like, when you're getting your social media to guy to come out here after qualifying and saying, oh yeah, we genuinely surprised ourselves. Bullshit! Such... <laughs> Go on, King. Was... Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, I, there was a point that I was going to make, like, at least, you know, just be like, don't, don't, be, don't be fake humble about it. You don't have to be. Like, I, I know a lot of people that have defended Mercedes have come out to me and saying, oh, well, you're Dre, you know, Dre, you don't get anything for being arrogant in this sport. And I'm like, no, sod that mentality. I, it's I, like, I, I, you, I, you don't have to be arrogant about it. Just say, like, all you have to do is say, like, just acknowledge that, yeah, you have the fastest car. Then say that, yeah, there are threats. They're like, like, yeah, Ferrari are sort of a threat to us, but it's clear of other times we do have the fastest car in the field we just need to be just need to be aware that we don't make any mistakes go out there have a good race and hopefully take home the victory i don't understand why mercedes are so deliberately fake modest i don't like, i hate <laughs> that because it, it's just so insincere i'd rather they be honest come out and come out and be arrogant and say yeah we think we got the best car and we think we're favorites to win on sunday i'd rather have that that whole that sort of penske sort of almost aura of their probably favorites to win almost any given race going in rather than this whole fake modesty of oh we think ferrari's got half a second in hand oh we think ferrari's got the best car you know we're going in there they're gonna be a real fight this year and then you go out and you fucking curb stomp them yeah I because mean, number one it's not it's not a surprise that you're excited to see even if you're a mercedes fan you're not excited to see that because you're, you're Mercedes are lulling you into the sense that you're going to see a competitive race, and you get the exact opposite of that. And that's the point. Mercedes haven't got the obligation to be entertaining. They're there to win. And like, it's like telling people, like, on like being fake with with the audience and telling them, "Oh, it's a surprise you were this far ahead. We can't believe it." No one buys this anymore. Like, this is this is like the third year in a row they've done this now. Where it's like, oh, we're not that good. We think Ferrari's a real threat to us. And then they come out and they lay the hammer on everybody. And it's like, oh, well, you know, we, we surprised ourselves. Bullshit. <laughs> you guys have too much information and too much knowledge about not only your car, but your competitor's car. They knew going in they had the best car. I, I don't like how Mercs play, play these sorts of games on social media. Especially, right... When, when they, whenever they get called out for conspiracy theories and, and controversy, because let's be honest, they get an unfair amount of stick for that too. I'm not denying that for a second. They'll be the first guys to come out and tell their fans, oh, guys, please behave ourselves. You know, we, we, we're genuine, honest. <laughs> you know, but then they end up giving this fake modesty bullshit every time a new season starts up. It's ridiculous. I can't stand it. This is not salt coming from me in the Ferrari department. But I mean, like, all. yeah, they they cause this. What it's like if you're disingenuous on social media before, why should we trust you now? Even though, yes, the claims are ridiculous, but why should we trust you now? You don't want to know what Mercedes AMG was doing with that cat. Oh my god! <laughs> Hi, Shane Dawson. How you doing? <laughs> References, kids. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was one of those. You know, like honestly, I, I got up at like five thirty in the morning for qualifying. I got up just in time for Q three, and I watched that session. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm going back to bed. Like seriously, <laughs> I was, I was just really this again. <laughs> and 
and we'll get into the nitty gritty as to Ferrari's apparent rumored issues issues in a minute. But um, race day comes on Sunday morning, and you know not much is going on off there. We we have the start, and Bottas gets the better launch over Hamilton, leads cleanly into turn one. The Ferraris very nearly hit each other in, in some way. In fact, I think there actually was contact, but obviously only very, very minimal. Um, no no damage was done, but uh, Leclerc had to hit the grass for a little bit as Sebastian defended third place. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bottas never for a minute looked like he wasn't going to win that race. No, he got, he got the whole shot and he just bounced. The only way yeah. that it looked like he wouldn't have won was if uh, the the strategy that they employed didn't work out. Because they pitted Lewis Hamilton about 10 laps earlier, the Valtteri yeah. Bottas, and are thinking, ah, this is where the shoe's going to drop. This is where Valtteri <laughs> Bottas gets screwed over on pit strategy. And as it turns out, he comes, he comes out of the pits and finishes the race 20 seconds ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, they, like Mercedes, for, for the first time in a while, actually put... You know, actually straight up put the second car in first. Um, and that was to cover off Sebastian Vettel, who was trying to pass Hamilton on an undercut attempt. Where Ferrari got it wrong. And, you know, you know it won't be the first time you're hearing this today. Um, Ferrari got it wrong. Where People forget, Ferrari running the overcut last year was what won them the race. Um, and this year they went undercut and it backfired badly because Sebastian had a terrible car in the second half of the race. Um, Hamilton got out in front and he was unopposed for second pretty much the entire way through. Um, but yeah, you're right. You, you, you had the feeling that like Bottas was going to lose this somehow, in, maybe in the pits, maybe on track, maybe via traffic, but it was the complete opposite. Everything went Valtteri's way. He was dominant. He went on the overcut. He was setting fastest laps on lap 22-23 of the race, which again, in brackets, makes you think, Pirelli, why are you making tyres that can go that long and still be that quick? Like, seriously. It it kills any form of strategy in a race. It's really irritating just getting these goddamn one-stoppers everywhere. Um, But hey, I don't blame Peretti for that. I blame the tug of war between the sport and the teams on that one. But hey, that's a discussion for another day. Um, But yeah, Valtteri completely dominating. As RJ alluded to, by the time the race was over, it was 20 seconds. The biggest win of his F1 career to date by a country mile. He completely destroyed the field um, on this one. And he took the maximum 26 points because, as mentioned... There's a point now for fastest lap, and Valtteri got it. Um, I won 25-5, um, which meant he got 26 points for the win compared to 25. Yeah, Bottas was only, like, pole position away from the Grand Slam because he led every single lap of the race, too. It's, no, uh, he did not leave. Oh, he did yeah, not there were, every well, single lap. I mean, there were, oh, the, the, there the, were just, the, the like... Go longer? Yeah, there were a few laps that he didn't lead uh, in between pit cycles, but that was as dominant as performance as you can honestly hope for, for a driver who really, really needed that to bounce back after the struggles of 2018, where when he was good, he was unlucky. When he was good, he was subject to team orders to help out Lewis Hamilton down the stretch. And when he was bad, everybody was saying, Valtteri Bottas trash. Valtteri Bottas is a lame duck. Valtteri Bottas should be gone by the middle of 2019. Why did they even keep this guy? Did y'all just forget what he was doing when he carried Williams on his back for the better part of four years before he even got this seat? 
Um, we're dealing in a sports world, RJ, where everybody wants short-term hot takes to long-term problems. I know, and... I know, <laughs> but still. Look, look, it, like, it, 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 there is a possibility, Mr. O'Connell, that both both camps might be right mm-hmm. here. Bottas did go 22 races without a victory in the best car in the field. Um, he did have seven second places in that stretch, but, you know... We all know his quality is there. He was brilliant at Williams. We all know that. And he carried that Williams team that had a very experienced teammate in Felipe Massa alongside him. You know, he's gone to this team. He was solid out of the box. He had 300-plus points in his first season there. You know, he was, he was you know, marginally, marginally below the line last year. But we all, I think, acknowledged he was pretty unlucky um, last season uh, many a time, especially in the first half of the year where he probably missed out on two or at least two victories probably three um on that in in that sense like the man can drive there's no doubt about that it's just you know people did have reason to be skeptical at the end of last season because you know he was way below the par for a a Merck's driver at that point i mean a Merck's finishing fifth in the championship like yeah not pretty but no i'm glad that He's gotten some of his comments back. I mean, King, you must be glowing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised he got fastest lap after Mercedes told both drivers not to go for the fastest lap point. But King, he wanted the 26 <laughs> points, and by God, he got all 26. Like he literally asked the team if they had enough, if they had enough time on Lewis to pit for a fresh set of tires to go for the fastest lap point. That is so cheeky. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I, I love the sheer audacity of the man saying, if we got a pit stop in hand on Lewis Hamilton? <laughs> <laughs> that is a classic. He didn't uh, even need to because he set his fastest lap of the race on the penultimate lap on tires that are 25 laps old. Thanks, Pirelli. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was half a second quicker than anybody else. A 125.5 on that one. And yeah, he won that race by 20.8 seconds. It was a completely dominant display. Um, there's no doubt about that. Is it a beat him down? Um, is it a hashtag beat him down? Is it a hashtag super beat him down? Is, 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 are we going to the camp of Dre here on this one for the official... I think it's, I think it's just a team? safe beat him down. I, I don't know, King. A pit stop in hand is... Uh, it, well, almost a pit stop in hand is... Uh, is, is, is is pretty heavy duty. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is... That is. As like F1 2019 on like 50% difficulty. King's maximum. Now, oh my uh, god. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, there's a dubious beaten down decision here. Or we go to the official Judge Dre on this one with the uh, VAR decision. Uh, I, you can't see it, but I'm definitely moving my hands in a TV-like gesture. Um, and putting the super beat them hashtag down on the table because if you beat Lewis Hamilton by a pit stop, you deserve the super, quite frankly. Um, so, you know, good on Valtteri. Oh, hang on. Sorry. We, we, we're under appeal here. The Lewis Hamilton camp has lodged an appeal citing floor damage and arrogance um, <laughs> to mitigate the beat him down here because apparently Lewis Hamilton, you know, he struggled in this one. He was under pressure from Max Verstappen towards the end of the race. He was able to hold him off. Hamilton looked like he didn't want to be there after the pit stop. It's like... I think he knew the jig was up after the pit stop. 
And I think he just phoned it in after that point, really, didn't he? That's what yeah. it felt like, anyway. But in the end, um, Mercedes got 44 constructors points, so who really won? Precisely. You know, it's it, it almost didn't really matter in that sense. I mean, like, like Hamilton said after the race that, you know, he let Valtteri win by that much apparently. Mm. And then Merckx laid the out by saying he had floor damage near the left rear of the car. Oh boy, I mean, Mercedes conspiracy theories, you said. <laughs> it's like, Merckx, you probably would have done better if you actually hadn't have said that. Because it's like, you have a very paranoid fan base, to say the least. Partly because you act paranoid yourselves half the goddamn time. <laughs> so it's hardly a surprise some of your fans pick up on that. And... Yeah, I think this is no exception. I mean, yeah. Okay, Hamilton may have had damage on the car. Um, yeah, actually, you know what? To be fair, like Cam has posted a picture in chat. He did lose a part of his floor near the rear left tire. Um, but if that is accountable for 21 seconds, then, well, these cars are even more fragile than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think he gave a shit after the first pit stop. Remember um, that statement. It becomes important later on. <laughs> it's uh, I love that. I wish that was a comedic cough, but that was actually a genuine cough. <clears throat> but um, yeah. Apparently Hamilton hit a bit of grass on lap four, and that damaged the car. Um, and it was pretty much it on that one. But yeah, as mentioned, he held off Verstappen to round off the podium. We'll break down Verstappen in just a minute. But uh, yeah, Hamilton phoning it in, and then it comes out with another out to get out of his poor performance. Um, and hey, I think that's now also, I think, the fourth year that in a row that Hamilton's had pole position. I think he's finished second now in Australia, four years running, I want to say. Um, I'm just checking that out now because I remember seeing a stat about it earlier. Um, quick to the Wikipedia career results grid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Quickly scramble. No, he is, it is. Yeah, he has, he has finished second place in Australia off pole position four years running. Um, that is like that must be a bit infuriating, knowing that you've you've stuck it on pole four years in a row in the land of Oz, and you've got and you've dropped it for second four years running. Flip side, he's turned two of the last three into world titles, so don't give up hope yet, Lewis. There's still time. Yeah, as Cam points out, I'm sure the well, the WDC's helped numb the pain. Really, <sighs> I'm shocked. <laughs> um. But yeah, the Hamilton, a, a modest second on this occasion. Max Verstappen, everybody. Um, third place on the debut race for Red Bull, Aston Martin, 17 more sponsors, Honda. Um, <laughs> impressive day out for Verstappen. I mean, yeah, we didn't really put a lot of thought into Red Bull as a team early on. I think we put them more down as the late team in, in the field. But Yeah, and you've always called them the team with the most wasted potential on the grid. Pretty much. And this was a great weekend from them. I mean, how Verstappen probably punched a little bit above his weight by splitting the Ferraris on the second row in qualifying, and then he was able to turn it into third. He had a beautiful textbook move into turn three on Sebastian Vettel um, <laughs> to get on the podium. And yeah, he would hassle Hamilton for second at the end. And I think Hamilton always had it in, had it in control for, for P2 in the end. Yeah, Verstappen had a, had a bit of an off-course moment that near the end of the race and his second stint that I think would have 
probably cost him that second place finish because if he had uh if not for that i think he would have just gotten hamilton with a few laps to go he drove away from vettel he did absolutely did by the end of the race he was nearly half a minute actually he was 35 seconds in front of sebastian by the time the race was over We'll get to Ferrari in a minute. But yeah, I said, that is also the first Honda-powered podium on um, in F1 since 2008. Um, so, good for Honda power. I mean, by all accounts, guys, it looks like Honda has dramatically closed the gap here. I mean... They're on par with Mercedes in terms of uh, average speeds uh, in the speed trap. Um, mm. And it turns out this is really good, but it can also be infuriating, especially when you have another car that's chasing down a car that just so happens to have the same engine, and you can't pass them. Yeah, a bit infuriating, but, you know, I, I think we often forget that sometimes F1 is the sport of diminishing returns. We, we've always been critical of Honda, and the mission they've had to go through catching up to the rest of the field given they started their hybrids a lot later than Mercedes, Ferrari, and, and, and Renault have done. And yet, here they are now. They look like they could potentially be on a par with the big boys. I mean, we, sh we saw flashes of it last year when Pierre Gasly had that brilliant fourth in Bahrain. But, you know, it's like they've taken themselves even further still now. And it's like they're running alongside the big boys. If that's, if that's no fluke... If, if that holds up in Bahrain, then Red Bull could actually be a team to watch going forward. Um, that's that's a good start from Red Bull, by, by all accounts. Um, so, a lot to look forward to out of a Stappen camp on this one. Um, reason to be excited, which is always nice. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> you know, it's not a good sign when the set list says, The Church of Dre is in session. Please open up your <laughs> hymn books. To, uh, to page uh, 516, we will be singing the first and second verses. Please stand, and let's join in chorus in unison. Fuck this shit. <laughs> sorry, that's like that's verses one and two. Um, uh, sorry about that. It wasn't it wasn't a straightforward. Uh, you may you may now be seated. Praise be, um, guys. The Ferraris are 57 and 58 seconds off the victory. Um, there's no other way of describing it. That's an unmitigated disaster for Ferrari. And I know a lot of people are very quick to point out, oh, this car doesn't suit Albert Park. And, you know, this, you know, it's a bad fit here, etc., etc. Guys, they've won here the last two years. Yeah. Nobody was saying this shit then, okay? I'm pretty sure last year Sebastian was only, I think, 0.4 off Hamilton's pole. Um, a couple of years ago. So, like, I don't buy this whole idea of Ferrari doesn't suit Albert Park. It's not that. It's the fact that, according to a lot of people, they've been very eagle-eyed on Reddit and seeing how these cars perform on onboards and whatnot. It looks like their power units have got some problems. As Enzo Ferrari once said, uh, aerodynamics are for people who can't build engines. He was right. <laughs> he weren't kidding, folks. He weren't kidding. Um... Again, I, I, props to the guys on the F1 subreddit for this because they did a lot of internal digging, a lot of onboards, a lot of video and audio evidence, a lot of random RPM drops, a lot of ERS depletion, talk of overheating power units and MGUs. and 
the end product is apparently there's there's a lot of talk that, F that Vettel had to run his power unit in the second half of that race on safe mode, basically bring the car home mode, basically, which is not a good sign going forward. And probably, I mean, it's not a good sign. One of the big viral radio clips of the weekend was Seb saying, "Why are we so slow?" And then Ferrari saying, "We have no idea." Um, <laughs> Which kind of sums up their weekend, really. Um, Seb was convincingly overtaken by Max Verstappen, outdragged by a Honda, the team that had the worst power units in the field last year on average speed. Honda might now be the best power unit in the field alongside Mercedes. That, Ferrari, that's so scary. <laughs> yeah, that is terrifying. And Ferrari seems to have fallen down the order, certainly in terms of reliability, at least, um, which is alarming. And... They were way off in qualifying. I mean, again, it could be a quick fix. It could also be a long-term problem. Who knows? But by, by any measure, it's not promising. Um, and, yeah, Ferrari just seemed to be completely bemused as to how this has happened. Um, I've got nothing for you here, folks. Um, and as, as Cam points out, they're going to get butchered in Bahrain if the issues were bad and they can't fix them in the next two weeks because... We all know Bahrain is a big power track. Um, yeah. Bahrain and China, for me, and I said this as everybody was, was engaging maximum doom and gloom mode over the prospects of a title fight. I'm not too worried about Melbourne. If it's this bad in Bahrain and China, then I would start to worry. Which is fair. That's definitely fair. And uh, it was just a sloppy weekend in general for Ferrari. I mean, Sebastian wasn't particularly bad. It was a solid qualifying lap. He said it himself after he set his Q3 time. He said he had basically maybe a tenth left in the tank. It, he, I think he said, I think he did a 21-1 in qualifying, and he said that a 21-0 was the dream lap, which basically means there was maybe a tenth left on the table. There wasn't much more in that car to give, basically. And... Uh, Leclerc was a bit sloppy in his first race for the big boys. He went off early. Hmm. Yeah, he was on. Yeah, yeah, he caught up to Sebastian at the end. But he, we've got to forget, he was on the much faster strategy. He Vettel had to pit super early. Leclerc had much fresher tires in the second stint, um, and the harder compound tire, which you know was probably a little bit safer at that point in the race as well. Yeah, um, there was a little bit of controversy there as well. I mean, he drove up to the back of Sebastian, and Charles, being the very good boy that he is actually radioed Ferrari and said, guys, can I pass him? Ferrari said no. <laughs> Shouldn't have asked. I'm not, I'm like, not worried about it. It's Charles' first race with Ferrari. He got 10 points for the team. I made a good start that he couldn't hold through turn two. He went off track, but he still turned it in to a solid result. Charles Leclerc is going to be fine. He doesn't have to win his first race with the team. Charles Leclerc is going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, Charles is a good boy. He's extremely polite. And, you know, Cam's got a conspiracy theory saying that they only botched it because Seb's race got botched so badly. I mean, yeah, the bad tyres, the poor engine in the over and the undercut is probably a pretty messy combination no matter which way you slice it. My personal opinion is kind of the same, in all, in all, in all fairness. it's It was just a... I think Ferrari just wanted to get out of Dodge by that point in time, and they were just like, you know what, we're not going to take any risk at all. There was there was a lot of people piping up saying, hey, they should have boxed Leclerc. Um, Kevin Magnussen was nearly 40 seconds back down the road in sixth place. You could have had 
and more than enough time to have a pit stop and take an extra point for fastest lap. Yeah. They didn't do it. Yeah. They didn't do it for, you know, mm-hmm. which is a fair, which is a fair complaint. Yeah, because uh, not every pit stop can go smoothly. Yeah. It's oh, a crap. risk. Yeah, risk reward. It seemed like every single driver on the field was willing to take the risk to try to get that one extra point, but the te- all their teams felt otherwise. Yeah, and if the power unit issues were as good, I don't think Charles was going to hold that fast lap to the end of the race. Especially when Valtteri had point five and everybody else. Um, that's that's alarming, and like the drivers clearly want to go for this more than the teams do. Um, like as as King alluded to earlier, Toto told both his drivers, "Don't run for fastest lap. We're not doing it. Ignore that extra point. Not worth the risk." Ferrari didn't want to risk it either. So you know all that talk about it shining a light on the midfield clearly doesn't mean shit if the drivers still want it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't mean anything when the fastest cars are still the fastest cars. Yeah. What a sound theory. <laughs> um, what, what a shocking analysis, King. Like, like why are you not on the F- Sky Sports F1 yet, bro? <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's just another way the bigger teams are going to run up the score. Like, the, like, and, I, and to be fair, I don't think I really want to see smaller teams take free pit stops just so they can set a fast lap time. I don't want Season 2 Formula E again. Like, it's, it just looks a bit silly on camera, to be honest with you. Like, really? You're going to throw away 25 seconds just to set one qualifying lap? I mean, come on. But, you know, yeah, Sebastian Vettel 4th and Charles Leclerc 5th on that one. Some minor controversies. The internet pretends to be mad about team orders for the 15th time. Let's get into Formula 1.5 and our Formula 1.5 race winner of the day this time. And the last man on the leading lap, Kevin Magnussen, ladies and gentlemen. A tale of two hasses, I think, is the I think is the way of describing this one, no? Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Magnuson had a great weekend. He started he seventh, really and he finished sixth. He had some uh, he had some fun action with Nico Hulkenberg, who ended up finishing second. Uh, those two have a history together, as as uh, some of us may know. Uh, they raced hard. Um, Magnuson did a brilliant overtake on Antonio Giovinazzi uh, later on in the race. It was a solid day. Class in the midfield from my view. And Romain Grosjean could very well have been up there. But you'll never guess how his race ended. Go oh. on. Just guess. Uh, sadly, folks, if you had the, what do you mean it was the wheel nut again option on your bingo card? Congratulations. God damn it. I had food poisoning from drinking rich energy. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I, I I had wheel to wheel incident with Lance Stroll. Um, bugger. Um, turns out it was the dodgy wheel nut again for the second year in a row. It put Grosjean out from a top eight finish. Um, it's it's a bummer. Something something better than Red Bull, etc. But uh, yeah, K Mag in sick for you know, a mixed day for Haas, but I don't think they're going to be too upset about eight points. Um, given that basically we had five different teams occupy the bottom five spots, so you know, no real, no real harm done with Grosjean's car DNF in. Although they would have liked to have probably gotten both cars in there. Um, Hulkenberg, as mentioned, was in P7. Good drive from him. Out qualified Daniel Ricciardo as well. So a good first weekend out for Hulkenberg. Out qualified and out raced is his uh, uh, much hyped teammate. Um, well, should we cut to Daniel Ricciardo real quick on this one? Because Ricciardo, um, you know, 
I was out qualified by Hulkenberg. They both they both didn't get out of Q2. I think they were 12th and 13th. Yeah, that was the big one. surprise yeah. of Q3 that they didn't mm. make it in. But don't worry. Daniel Ricciardo's going to make up places on the start end. Who's that? Whose front wing is that going to pieces <laughs> through 100 feet in the race? Oh, no. Well, it was Robert Kubitz's, but, but unfortunately, Daniel Ricciardo's went too. Um, <laughs> and yeah, Ricciardo had to take evasive action on a fast-moving Sergio Perez to his left, but unfortunately, he overcooked it, put too much of his wheels on the grass and the tall grass snapped his front wing clean off and that was effectively the end of Daniel Ricardo's race um Ricardo re- circulated down the back of the field and they eventually retired the car um in the middle of the Grand Prix itself and uh I have to say as well Daniel please do not tell F1 journalists in the paddock to shut the fuck up when they're just doing their jobs properly for fuck's sake, grow up. You're a grown man of 29. Um, seriously. Why do people defend this man so much? Seriously. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Let's ask resident uh, Reno and Daniel Ricardo Stan Ryan Eric King for his input on his driver that he supported <laughs> since day one. Um, well, on the other hand, is uh, your your banana bet's looking to be in good shape. Yeah, it's, it's looking real good. Uh, though I'm a bit worried about Reno. They qualified lower... <laughs> He's qualified lower than last year's Australian Grand Prix. Um, yeah, because yeah, Hulk made it to Q3 last year. Uh, actually, Hulkenberg finished in the same exact position he finished last year. Now they can fight. Long live the Alliance. <laughs> Long live the Alliance. <laughs> oh, King sounds like a King sounds like a Star Wars villain when he says that. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Ricardo DNF'd, and honestly, like, I, I did find it interesting that, that, that Ricardo complained of burnout after the race, basically saying that, you know, he he was just run down by the, by the time he got to Sunday, um, which I say, and as Will Buxton pointed out on Twitter this morning, Daniel probably should learn to say no a bit more to all those TV interviews he gets when he's in Australia. I mean, should I get me wrong? It's a hard sell for a guy's home race, and they love Daniel Ricciardo in Australia. And he is the only Australian driver. Yeah, like he's he's carried the torch from Mark Webber for the last five years now. Is the only Aussie in F1, and yeah, he's gonna get all the media attention for for the local boy back home to kick off the F1 season. And like, he's not had a good Australian Grand Prix since his first year at Red Bull, and that is like alarming. And that one didn't even count by the end of the night. Yeah, and that one was yanked out of his pocket. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't even his own fault. Though, um, yeah, his his week did look hectic. <gasps> According to Autosport, he did local press and a Renault film day on Tuesday. Uh, he did a Castrol promo event uh, with uh, Rick Kelly from uh, Australian Supercars on Wednesday, plus the F1 season launch Wednesday evening. Then Thursday, he had uh, sponsor appearances, plus... Uh, a tie-in appearance for for Australia's governing body, the the Confederation of Australian Motorsport at Albert Park. So that was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That was before we even got to Friday. That's a lot of shit. Um, Daniel, learn to say no, my dude. Like seriously, like. On the uh, other hand, dear. his helmet his helmet looks fantastic. I love it. I'm not a fan of that, to be honest. Yeah, with you. I. I I'm not a fan of it like certain other people are. I it's 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 definitely you a, unique. It's definitely unique. It's not because it oh it's it's Daniel. Oh, praise be to Daniel. It just look it's different. 
Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's different. It's distinct. It's and, different and distinctive, kind of like Vettel's Vettel's helmet now, once he finally broke out of Red Bull colors. I, I think I think it's just the the combination of colors that the the pink, blue, and green. Like if it was just pink and blue, I'd be fine with it. But the I don't know, just the three color combo doesn't look good. There's a joke that can be made about a bunch of people on the internet who love Daniel's helmet, but I digress. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm, 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 I'm not a fan of it, to be honest with you. I think it's a bit of a mess. But hey, it's different. You know, which is which is like the Daniel Ricciardo catchphrase of our times. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, we're running down the rest of the field a little bit here as well. Kimi Raikkonen, eighth place on his on his first race for Alfa Romeo Salba. Good job from him. Um, again, especially given he was the first guy ran into the pits for a scheduled stop. Uh, he still had to stretch that out all the way to the end of the Grand Prix and did a very solid job in doing so in eighth place. Plus seven for Lance Stroll from 16th on the grid to 9th. That's a hell of a job for the Lance Stroll. The non-Botas driver of the day, in my opinion. And again, this is from a team that brought all their upgrades to this weekend. And Stroll missed mm-hmm. out after Q1. You're thinking, oh, here we go. This is it. Lance Stroll trash confirmed. And then he just <laughs> very quietly puts together a fantastic race. And no one saw it on the hard camera. That's the saddest thing. He gained seven places from where he started, jumped half the midfield, and nobody saw it on TV. We didn't get a single camera on Stroll the entire fucking race. That's irritating. Um, but hey, you know, F1 directors for you. Can't help it. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of action. There was a lot of action to try oh, to cover. Oh, yes, and especially immediately right behind him. Now, you remember <laughs> when I mentioned that it's great that Red Bull has this really awesome hot engine, and how can it be infuriating if maybe another team has the same engine and you can't get around them, even when the stats say you should, such as, you know, an 88% chance of jumping the car ahead after your pit stop, because that's what Pierre Gasly had, and he still finished behind. Was there a specific reason why Gasly got eliminated in Q1? No, there was no specific reason. Fucking hell. Yeah, Gasly got knocked out in Q1, and he didn't really recover all that Oh, no, no. Uh, The reason why he ended up in Q1, because at the end of Q1, you know, when the big crescendo moment, Robin Kubica put it in the wall. (laughs) Oh, no, that was Sainz who got stuck behind. Red Bull just didn't even send him out for another run. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember seeing the highlights. This car was parked. In the garage, they they thought Gasly's one run would have been enough, and it wasn't. Um, yeah. Just just blind arrogance from the Red Bull team on that one, and Gasly struggled so much so that he finished the race in eleventh place, stuck behind a certain Danil Kvyat. Hmm. Funny that. So let me get this straight here: the guy that had been knocked out of F1 twice over. In the Toro Rosso powered car, the B team for Red Bull Racing was able to hold off Pierre Gasly in his first race with the big boy factory Honda team for 30 laps, despite Gasly having DRS and the guy who Gasly had was fast tracked in to replace Kvyat in the first place. <laughs> Hook it to my veins! <laughs> I love it. I love it. Like, the, the, the delicious irony of Danil Kvyat getting a point on his return to F1, 
um, and beating Gasly to do it is fucking glorious. That's, that's consecutive point scoring finishes 18 months apart. Yep. <laughs> Makes you wonder if the guy should ever have been dropped to begin with. Mm. <laughs> Makes you think. No, uh, I, I, I'm glad that Danny's uh, had a great race. I, I think Pierre will bounce back, though. I think he will. Just, it was a rough weekend for Gasly, and I, honestly, I think Gasly's lacking confidence. I mean, let's be honest with each other here, folks. If Verstappen was in Gasly's position, would he have finished 11th today? I don't think he does. No. And I think it might be a confidence issue. I hope it's not that. I hope it's just a one-off and Gasly comes back strong in Bahrain, but I do find it a bit alarming that he struggled to really make progress outside of a late pit stop. Um, and yeah, it was a little bit chaotic back there, but not ideal. He like as 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 Cam points out, he never even looked like he was going to come close to passing Kvyat on that one, which is a shame. Further on down the midfield, Lando Norris in twelfth, qualified in eighth. I mean, good good effort from the from the McLaren boy there to make Q three on his debut, but sadly not quite so, so successful in the race. Uh, Cheeky Checo slipped down to 13th in the end. He made Q3, which is a nice surprise for Racing Point. Um, Alex Albon in 14th place. Call forth the great choo-choo train of Antonio Giovinazzi. Who still has magnificent hair. Tremendous hair. He looks like Um, Bucky from the Winter Soldier. Oh, God. More fan fiction for F1 fans to flick the bean over. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) God. That... Giovinazzi versus Norris duel was awesome, and that was probably what cost Lando Norris points at his debut, for being honest. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Like, apparently Gio had a crippled car from, like, And it certainly didn't help that his uh, first pit stop took him eight and a half seconds. (laughs) Not ideal either. Um, (laughs) But, um, yeah, not great. I'll just say the least on that one. Giovinazzi, again, not really his fault. The car struggled all the way home, um, basically. And it sucks to, out of the 11 on-track overtakes outside of the opening lap that we got during the race, seven of them was people passing Giovinazzi. Bummer. Um, And at the back of the field, sigh. George Russell, two laps down. Robert Kubica, three laps down. Oh, boy. It's, It's as bad as expected, folks. It's it's it, it, it's painful. It's, it, like I was hoping it wouldn't be that bad in actual race conditions. It was worse than expected. Oh dear, Russell. Uh, poor George. Yeah, Russell had to take an extra pit stop near the end. Kubitz had to pit three times. I mean, one solace that I'm really taking is that the fans really traveled for Robert, and after eight years, he was able to get back into an F1 car and run a full race. I just wish he was able to do it a lot faster. And with a team that was better equipped for the talents that he and George Russell deserve. That's fair to say. That is definitely fair to say. And yeah, it it is frustrating, no doubt, to see that happen. And uh, I wish for better things out of that camp. I really do. Because like I said, I don't want to see Williams at the back of the field. And significantly at the back of the field, for that matter, as well. That's... That's sad, and I, 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 I want better things for them, and that doesn't look like it's going to be happening anytime soon, which is a shame, because those two guys deserve deserve better than what we actually got. As mentioned, three DNFs. Um, Grosjean had the wheel nut failure. Daniel Ricciardo was, was uh, benched, 
essentially after front wing damage early on. And Carlos Sainz's engine blew up. God damn it, Carlos was running in the points as well. Now, um, the reason for Ricardo's retirement is actually questionable. Officially, oh? officially on the FI results sheet, it says accidental damage. Though, uh, Ricardo told the press that his team told him that there are other issues with the car. That's why they stopped them early to pro- as a preventative measure. Right. That's interesting. Uh, there's, 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 there's a bit more to that one, I guess. But uh, not much more to be said on that one. I mean, guys, what did you make of the Australian Grand Prix in general, then? It was pretty good. It was, honestly, it was pretty good. A lot of midfield action. Uh... Not much intrigue at the front, but, you know, at least it wasn't Lewis. Yeah. I mean, the, just the shock of, of Valtteri Botas beat him down. I liked it because um, when the race started on ESPN, they actually cut to the actual race instead of another ESPN program that was already pre-recorded. And <laughs> it went flag to flag with no commercials. So, a massive improvement. Yep. Indeed. In, I mean, like I said, for Australia, this was about a 17 out of 10. In actual terms, it's more like a 6. But I thought it was a decent race. I thought, you know, midfield action carried it through. And yeah, we were lacking a bit of intrigue at the front, but it was a nice surprise to see Valtteri kick that much arse, um, which was very pleasing. Um, so yeah, good race. Um, watch on Channel 4 extended highlight version. There you go. You're welcome. Um, but uh, yeah, that'll just about do it. For the for Australian Grand Prix coverage, we'll take a short flight over during this interlude, and we'll get into Thailand and World Superbikes. Don't worry, guys. Philip Island was just a fluke. (laughs) Philip Island brings the field together. It's an equalizer. It's built for great racing. We'll go to a proper track and Jonathan will come back and... Oh my God, about he's the one all three again. Give me what I want, Johnny. You know what I want and you're going to give it to me. Oh my God. It's just kind of weird. It is kind of weird because like... Everybody was kind of shocked that Bautista won all three rounds at Phillip Island a couple of weeks ago. And everyone was like, okay, looks like someone's taking the fight to Jonathan. And then Thailand happened this past weekend, and we were all just sitting back, and we were just going, well, maybe Jonathan will come back here. Jonathan's won six of the last eight in Thailand. He's, he's very strong round here. You know, this, this track's a bit more... This track's a bit more open. Maybe it'll be a better indicator. And nope, Bautista crushed it there too. He had the perfect weekend. He won the sprint race. He won both feature races from pole position uh, as as well. And um, did... I don't know about you guys, but did you guys get a strange sensation when watching this race going... This is like I like I got I, I don't I don't know about you guys, but I was when I was watching this race over the weekend, I was sitting there going. I don't know how I feel about this. Anybody else get that impression? <laughs> was it just me? <laughs> I sadly missed this race. There was there was just so much going on, uh, mm, but I I saw that uh, I saw that uh, Alvaro Batista continued to do his thing, and that was drop bombs all over the field. Um, 
This is incredible. I think you mentioned that he hadn't been really fighting for titles like his last championship was 2008. I want to say it was 2006 and one two fives. Yeah, yeah. it's been a long time. Uh, it's been a long I only, damn time. I, I only know this because my brother is the world's biggest Alvaro Bautista fan. Um, and he's been doing this for a while. Yeah, you got to go back to 2006 for Bautista's last major world title. Back when Aprilia was in one two fives, the Aspar team. He won... The 2006 125cc title. He was a runner-up in 250s in 2008, um, and yeah, he was like a he was the king of the midfielders in MotoGP like 2012, 2013, when he was on the satellite Honda. But you know his career went a bit lopsided after that. Scott Redding pushed him out of pushed him out of the Grassini team when he made his MotoGP debut on the production bike. He went to Aprilia, did a couple of years back at Ducati again, had a few you know, great performances here and there, but the ones that probably stood out most is when he filled in for Jorge Lorenzo at the factory Ducati team in Phillip Island. He came in fourth, and he was right up there with his with Dovi, who's become the king of the Ducatis, and now he's gone over here to World Superbikes, and he's completely destroyed everybody. It is, uh, oh, it is, it is, it is alarming. And, uh, yeah, as Cam put Super Beat Him Down in the chat, that's basically what this has felt like. Like, he is winning these feature races by a mile. He, like, race two, he won by 10.8 seconds, and this was of him, arms behind his back, standing up, going over the line as the bike was crawling. It was probably more like 13-14. Um... There was a bit of controversy in race one because um, Jonathan Ray was giving him a much closer fight in the first half of race one. They were going into turn three. Turn three in, in Thailand is a, is a slow double apex hairpin. You can take more than one line into that corner. Um, Ray gave him the old up and under, James Hinchcliffe style, and they actually made contact. Bautista almost dropped it um, after Ray pushed him off the apex a little bit. A bit of a block pass, but... That was fun. Both of them immediately blamed the other. That was fun. But it didn't matter because Batista passed him again a lap later and then took off for the win. <laughs> so, it's just like, well, what the fuck, basically. Honestly, you know what's amazing? I was watching this on British Eurosport in the UK. It was like watching a wake after, after like, race two had happened. Everyone was, like, kind of in shock. It was actually quite funny. It's like, um, uh, well, what do we do here? Like, how is Batista so good? And... Like I said, he has more experience on V4s than anyone else does. He rode a Ducati V4 for years in MotoGP. I know it's a prototype compared to a superbike, but there's a lot of experience there, and that's probably part of the reason why he's so good. And it's now opened up a ton of debate, basically, in that, you know, should they nerf Ducati? And... We all saw it last year, you know, they introduced rev limits and concessions to try and balance the field out, and it's it's difficult here because Bautista has, has, has dominated this championship so far, he's won 6 for 6. No one else on a V4 is performing well at the moment. Chaz Davies had a blowout in race 2, was only I think 8th in race 1. Eugene Laverty had to jump off his bike because his bike had a mechanical failure. His brakes completely failed going into the final hairpin. He had to jump off his bike at 125 miles an hour because um, he had a complete catastrophic brake failure, um, which is just 
The idea of someone jumping off a bike at 125 miles an hour is fucking terrifying to me. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, and I guess Cal points out again, it's the fourth time in his in his world superbike career he's had to jump off a failed bike, um, it, which is just mind-boggling. His own words on Twitter, I must have been a right bastard in a previous life to deserve this, <laughs> was, was the literal words he used to sum it up. Um given he's Irish, good crack, as you say. Um, but honestly, like, you guys wouldn't have seen this because, like, it's in, the U- it's in the UK and we want to watch it on Eurosport, but, like, British Eurosport's panel, they have Greg Haynes and, and James Whitten on commentary. Hi, Greg. Love you, Greg. Um, and they have Matt Roberts, who used to host BBC's MotoGP coverage years ago, like back in 2006, 2007. Um, and they have... James Hayden, who used to race in BSB, and Shaky Byrne, like five-time BSB champion on the panel. And they all looked bemused. It was hilarious. They were all just sitting there going, well, um, you know, G- GO- GP's not really the same as superbikes, and they were they were taking jabs at GP racing here and there. <laughs> and honestly, King, it felt like a boys' club. It felt like the boys' club had just been kicked out. It really did, because yeah. it was just like... Like last year, it was a, it was a Jonathan Ray show, and they can wax lyrical about how great he's been. The Spaniards come over from GP and whooped everybody, and everyone's now sitting here like, oh, well, shit." <laughs> yeah, it's like sit around. Don't know what to. It's like, what do we say? It's that's what's so alarming about World Superbikes. It's like everyone's now sitting there going, "Well, shit, what do we do now?" Because <laughs> it's it's obvious. It's like. This is a problem. This is a big problem. And King, do you take revs off him at this point? Like, does it have to be this now, where it's like you got to take rev limits off them after Aragon because it's Aragon in two weeks' time, and that's another track that Ducati is traditionally very strong around as well, which doesn't help. Oh, I'm not sure. Like, like honestly. My gut feeling is like just let the season play out, see what happens, see if see if this holds up. It's interesting because, like, as as Cam points out, do you punish the many to punish the one? Because as mentioned, the nearest guy in the championship who's on the Ducati is Michael Ruben Rinaldi, who's a hundred points behind Bautista already. That's how far back the, the other Ducatis are at the moment, and. As Gregorio Levia pointed out, who's the sporting director of all superbikes now at this point, he said himself, it's like, well, we didn't punish Jonathan Ray when he won 11 straight at the end of last season. And they didn't because they felt like Tom Sykes and the other Kawasaki's weren't as competitive. Guys like Toprak and, and, and Tom Sykes, the two other major Chikati players in the field. Oh, sorry, Kawasaki players, I should say, sorry. Um... I don't know on this one. It's really, really tricky because like the series is in a strange sort of place. As Lewis pointed out, and like Lewis suddenly pointed out in our Discord earlier this week, because he still hangs around here, drinking our tea and riding on our furniture. <laughs> so, he he said himself, it's like it's weird because Bautista is dominating, but Ray is still significantly better than everybody else. Ray's got six straight second places. He's only twenty six points behind Bautista, despite. Bautista having the perfect season so far of winning all six races. And that's the crazy thing. It's But at the same time, Alvaro's winning these races by like 10, 15 seconds at a time. 
I don't know. It makes for a very, very interesting sort of dynamic and debate because I remember last year, like, Ray was leading the championship, but all the Ducatis were right behind him. And then they took 250 revs off Ducati, essentially by giving all the other rivals 250 revs back after Aragon in round three. Ducati didn't win a race again that season. So it's really weird. It's a really weird dynamic. And I am going to be very curious to see what they do about this going forward because Dawn is going to have. Dawn has got a very, very difficult decision to make because they've basically traded one dominant rider for another. And I'm not sure what they're going to do about it from here. It's going to be yeah. interesting. Kind of feels like what Supercross is in America. When one dominant rider like a Jeremy McGrath or a Ricky Carmichael retires, you get another one right in their place. Yeah, because it's, it's not like in GP right now where, yeah, Marquez is the best guy, but there's still a ton of dudes in there who can win any given race still. I mean, even two years ago in GP, we had seven different winners. We had nine the year before. So, yeah, there was one dominant guy, but people still had their good days in that sense. This is different. This is Bautista Kerbstrom and everybody, and then you've got another chasm back to Jonathan Wright, and then you've got everybody else. The big story would easily be, right now, would be that if if it wasn't for Ducati, we'd be talking about how close to Kawasaki and the Yamahas are, because the big fight on track was really the three other Yamahas of Michael Vandermark and um, Marco Melandri and Sandro Cortese all fighting against Leon Haslam in the second Kawasaki, and that was fun. Um, and it looks like Yamahas genuinely made gains on their R1M this year, but it's all kind of for naught right now. It's a bit sad. Uh, but, uh, you know, shout out to Alex Lowe's. He had three he had three other podiums in there as well. He was third in all three races and whatnot as well. And if you haven't already seen it, check out the Supersport race as well with Jules Clazelle winning in that one. That was another fun and a bit of a classic Jules Clazelle sort of race as far as I'm concerned. That's definitely well worth a watch as well. But, uh... I'm going to keep it relatively brief because these boys want to talk about Sebring. So, uh, have at it, fellas. It was a fun weekend of endurance racing out there, wasn't it? Uh, yes. The United Launch Alliance deployed the 10th wideband global SATCOM satellite for the U.S. Airports Friday, riding atop a Delta IV rocket. WGS-10 liftoff from the Cape Canaveral mm. Air Force Station deep into a 129-minute window at 8.26 p.m. Eastern on Friday. That is 026 UTC on Saturday. They've launched a fucking rocket during the thousand miles of Seabree. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get to see How that. did you remember how did you remember all of that off the top of your head? I just read it off a NASA space flight uh article. Fucking nerd. <laughs> nerd that, that might have actually be been one of the highlights of the thousand miles of Seabring. The first leg of Super Seabring Super Sebring. What's Super Sebring? <laughs> yes, that is the that is the thousand miles of Sebring on Friday. The Sebring twelve hours on Saturday. That's right. The WEC is IMSA support race. Yay! <laughs> I mean, don't 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 look excited at once, people. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I mean, Toyota took an easy one to finish. Uh, Jose Maria Lopez did his, probably did his damn near best to try and ride off the second leg of that one to finish, and he still finished several seconds up on the third place privateer of SMP Racing. 
Um, so that's kind of the same old, same old in LP1. LP2, we had, uh, had some familiar faces taking the win. Jordan King! Yes, that Jordan King from the IndyCar series, along with Will the Lad Stevens and software developer David Heinemeyer Hansen winning in the number 37 car for Jackie Chan DC Racing. And Porsche won both the GTE categories, so you know Cam Buckley is popping wood. <laughs> What? Ten, oh, that's brilliant. Ten laps. Ten laps difference between second and third in LB1. Ten laps. Seriously? How yeah, massive. What the fuck happened? Um, equivalence of technology happened, and nobody was transparent right. about how this was going to work. Ugh. Yes, as Rezzy points out, David Heinemeyer Hansen, inventor of Ruby on Rails. Sounds neat. But, like, so how, like, as, as Cam points out, and I'm sure we'll allude to it as a Sebring, how did the privateer teams get nerfed for this? Uh, I don't, f- I, I wish I could answer that in a, in a manner that's coherent and makes sense to everybody, but honestly, I don't know. It's gotten so bad to the point that former World Endurance Drivers Champion and Lamar winner Neil Yanni is leaving at the end of the season, readily admitting that his teams like Rebellion Racing don't have a chance. The only way they have a chance is if a double DSQ happens, like what happened at Silverstone, or both the cars get written off, and even still, they can still win by 10 laps. What's the point? If, if you're a guy like Yanni, who's got other commitments and, you know, is a, still a very popular and respected racing driver in many a series, why are you racing when you know you're not going to win, realistically speaking? That, that can't be a nice feeling to have, you know? Jeez. No. Like, you know, the th- the, I was optimistic about the uh, the privateer LMP1 rule set. I really was. I was thinking, like, finally, they're going to they're gonna fit some mistakes they made the last time they tried to do LMP1 privateers with the cars were almost as slow as LMP2 and you know I, I don't know what to say really I just don't so like I just don't get it why did he not want the privateers to be up there making it competitive because the manufacturers wouldn't want to participate right the fe- for fuck's sake yeah I mean the feeling is that like the the privateers get so many concessions as well but even still with all those concessions when you're driving a beefed-up LMP2 car, it's not always great, no matter how much power you have. And it's certainly not really that great when, you know, Toyota are already setting breaking lap records in the pre-event test session on a track that they've never competed on in earnest. On the other, oh, hand, right on the other hand, GTLM, uh, GTE, that's always good. It came down to eight-tenths of a second between the 91 Porsche and the 81 Big Mate. Big Mate? <laughs> uh, not, not quite today for Big Mate, though. Know? <laughs> right. I think everybody was more excited about the 12 hours of Sebring, which, uh, boy, you want to talk about Sky Active. Well, the Sky certainly <laughs> were active when they started this race under torrential downpour and spray, and nobody could fucking see. But in the end, the race comes down to a uh, to a last lap's restart with 10 minutes to go. It's the number 31, Wayland Engineering Cadillac, and the number 10, Kanaka Minolta, Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac, 
oh hey, the same two protagonists from Daytona, when Felipe Nazar overshot the first corner and let Alonso through to eventually win the race. So what was Felipe Nazar going to do in the final 10 minutes with Jordan Taylor breathing down his neck? Was he going to buckle under the pressure again, or was he going to win the race? Well, as it turns out, Felipe Nazar, do Brazil, do 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 took the victory. Yep, eat it, Alonso. He ain't here this time. And Pepo Durrani winning this event for the third time in four years with two different teams. <laughs> Neat. Yeah, so we had a Cadillac clean sweep of the podium. And I want to point out as well, Brendan Hartley came back to sports cars and he had two drives and both times he finished on the podium. He was effectively taking Jensen Button's place in the S&P racing prototype alongside uh, Mikhail Aloshin, noted cool guy, and Vitaly Petrov. They finished third overall, 10 laps behind the next Toyota. But things were much more competitive when they were only four seconds back at the end with Joao Barbosa and Felipe Albuquerque. And also, Porsche won again. Patrick Pele, Nick Tandy, and Frederick Makowiecki winning it. Uh, having started the race effectively a lap down, they win it by two seconds on that final restart, overcoming Ford in second and Chevrolet in third. Very neat stuff indeed. Jeez. Good for Brendan Hartley, though. Yeah, it's great that he's back in his element in competitive cars once again. It's amazing, though, isn't it? You have a good driver, competitive equipment, and it sells. Who'd have thunk? No way. No way. (laughs) Ah, dear. But, um, hey... Oh, is that just about do it for the uh, Super Sebring weekend section? Yeah, um, I would definitely, um, Emsa will have the full race um, up on their YouTube channel, probably by the time you watch oh, yeah. this, so if you're looking for some light entertainment to kind of zone out to, uh, there's your go-to. Sounds like a fun time. Anyway, shall we get into the news, gentlemen? Yep. We got we got a lot of we got a lot of news. Some of it very hot. Yeah, apparently it's still smoldering. Um, so yeah, it's bad news for them for fans of electric racing here, especially the Moto E Championship. As uh, they had a massive fire this past weekend. Um, massive is an understatement. <laughs> If, yeah, I mean, I don't like to joke about these things normally, but yeah, King's right. It was an enormous fire. It's the like, whole. Yeah, go on, King. Yeah, literally, the whole championship burned to the ground. All the bikes destroyed. Most of the team's equipment destroyed. Pretty much everything's gone. Yeah, the entire championship now basically has to start from scratch, which is a real shame um, for, you know, any of the. Yeah, major guys involved. Um, they've all got to start over. Uh, MotoGP prepared a statement um, the next day, basically saying, you know, I think it was some sort of battery leak that did it, King. No, it was not. It was not related to uh, any of the batteries on the bikes. So some of the infrastructure, you know, used to charge the bikes. That's what caught a blaze it wasn't plugged in well none of the bikes were plugged in uh you know just some outside equipment uh you know sparked uh also lit a high like then it then it spread to a high density battery and then everything just went up 
Awful. Awful to hear that. Um, yeah, the championship basically has to start over. They've already announced it. The championship will not start at Haref, um, which was meant to be the original plan in in late April. Instead, what they're going to do is they're going to reschedule um, using some of the other European rounds on the calendar down the road. Um, we, we found out today, um, on uh, March 19th, as time of recording, that Le Mans will not be featuring the Formula E. Sorry, sorry not Formula E, I should say, sorry, Moto E race there as well. Um, so that they can't do it either, unfortunately. So it's looking like it's going to get pushed into May at the very earliest for them to rebuild and start over, which is a real shame because I was genuinely looking forward to seeing how this championship was going to play out in the early game. You've got to wait a little bit longer. Thankfully, most importantly, nobody was hurt or injured as a result of this fire, but uh, obviously a real blow for the championship where that's concerned and you know, a big rebuilding job. But hey, Dorner is the best in the business at being able to make the best out of a bad deal. So... You know, they. I'm sure they will find a way to figure this out. But uh, RJ over the NASCAR in a highly significant moment of history for one Kyle Busch. Oh, just just because I'm the American who lives in the southeast, just make it that, that I have to get to NASCAR coverage. <laughs> That's how You're it's got to be, right? Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Kyle Busch won his 200th race in uh, NASCAR's National Touring Series. That would be the Cup Series. That would be the Xfinity Series, the artist formerly known as the Grand National Series. And that would be the Truck Series. He has 200 victories. He is now tied with Richard Petty, who got all of his victories in Cup. So cue plenty of debate. Plenty of spirited and very rational debate. The kind that Formula One fans would be proud of. <laughs> they, they got into a cat fight, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because there's, um, obviously, there's some concessions to be made on both sides. Of Kyle Busch's 200 victories, only 53 of them have come in what I would call NASCAR GP. 94 of them have come in NASCAR 2. Uh, 94, I should say, and, fifth, and another 53 coming in uh, in NASCAR 3, if you will, the truck series. Uh, he does have 50 wins across all three series, which he's the only driver to do so. And he's really the only driver who will, one of the few drivers nowadays, even as, uh, even as a series, have tried to curb drivers like him from competing in all three races in a weekend. Uh, from him to try and pad his stats like that. On the other hand, Richard Petty did win 200 races, but keep in mind, the calendars were much larger, and not everybody was a full-time professional racing driver, like Kyle Busch has to race against every single weekend. So where do you sit on this side of the debate, Andre? I don't know. I, I just like how, um, how racing uh, sports writer Nick Bromberg got everybody riled up as he counted down the victories. <laughs> By announcing that oh, he's wow. just three wins away, two wins away, one win away from tying Richard Petty and getting everybody worked out because of it. And it worked beautifully, didn't it? Uh, yes. Yes, it did. So, if he wins, uh, his next race will be his 201st, making him the winningest driver all time across all three categories. Um, so, you know, that's that's going to be fun. I mean... The, the scary thing is that I always feel like Kyle Busch should have more than just the 53 wins by this point. And that's still a lot of victories for the NASCAR yeah. Cup Series. Oh, God, yeah. And he's only 33 years old. 
And you have to feel like, yes, the only title that he won was off of a gimmick in which in a season where he missed half the races due to a broken leg. But you got to feel like, nah, he's going to win more than that. He's got to win more than that, right? Right? (sighs) Yeah, 53 top class wins in the modern era when you consider how parody driven the sport is at the top level where, you know, 12. 13, 14 guys can win a race in a season. That's very impressive. Very much so. Very much so. Um, King, where do you sit on this one? Uh, I don't know, because again, Richard Petty got his wins in an era where the sport wasn't fully professional. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to compare. Oh, don't give me the it's hard to compare argument. That's such a cop-out, King, and you know I, it. I, I'd say, yeah. I'd say, yeah. <laughs> This this uh, this is just as good as two hundred wins in all cup wins. We're gonna get so much hate mail for this. <laughs> Please direct like all your hate mail to Ryan at motorsport one hundred one dot com. Please please send all your constructed feedback to at ajv one beta on Twitter. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Johnson doesn't deserve that. <laughs> oh dear. So looking forward to this weekend as well. We got we got two nice uh, weekends coming up for you. We got IndyCar's debut for the IndyCar Classic at the Circuit of the Americas. That should be fun. Yes. No. Sixty laps, two hundred and four miles. Uh, first race of the year for Junkos Racing and Kyle Kaiser. First race for Patricio Ward at Carlin, a full 24-car grid, uh, Elio in the two-seater, and it starts at starts just past 12.30 p.m. Central Time. Can Joseph Newgard make it two in a row to start the year? Or will Anyone in their flags to the Moss for a new garden win? Mm, oh, I don't know. <sighs> Rossi's raced here before. Yeah, Rossi's raced here, and he's raced here pretty well. I know it was in a manner, but he almost beat that South <laughs> for points. I still remember that race mm. fondly. Interesting, interesting. What about you, King? I, I think I'm going to go with Rossi. going to go with Flossie Rossi. So it's a good shout. That's oh, a good shout. I'm going to go Will Power, just for sheer raw speed. That's always fun. Um, but uh, what about Full Marine China, everybody? Yes, the well, the Florida of the China is, is, is jokingly said in the set list. Yes, look, their their circuit looks very like Miami. <laughs> well, the proposed Miami circuit, Ooh. very much so. Yeah, you'll look for um, it's a it's a brand new venue, uh, first time that they've been in mainland China since the end of the Beijing Epre. Uh Pivotal point in the championship with everybody close together in the championship after uh, after Hong Kong. Yep. Yep. And it's literally anyone's championship to win. And certainly somebody's championship to lose, especially if they try and go gung-ho in the in the first corner of the race. But yeah, when you've got uh when you've got the top six drivers in the championship covered by 11 points uh with 25 points on offer before we even get to pole and fastest lap points, uh, this race is going to be really important for guys like Bird, D'Ambrosio, Degrassi, Mortara, DeCosta, and Friends. And Daniel Abt and Mitch Evans aren't too far behind either, nor is Pascal Verline, who again is only 24 points back despite having missed a race. And there's Andre Lauder and John Eric Fern, they're not completely out of this either. We could come into yeah. we could come into the European leg of the championship with this championship looking a whole lot different by the end. 
definitely, definitely. Um, lot to look forward to there that week, this weekend coming up. I, I can't wait for that one. That's going to be very, very intriguing indeed. Um, yeah, looking forward to that one greatly. But, uh, whew, guys, we sped through this one, didn't we? <laughs> we, we? We really did blast this one out really like a lot faster than I thought we were going to. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Valtteri, for being not interested enough to make it a two-hour podcast. Whoa. Still <laughs> Listen, Valtteri Botas may not be interesting enough, but Violent Cousin Melvin sure as shit is. He's got tattoos, his face is stained in blood, and he is out to kill. But he's also cute and cuddly and has a nice beard. <laughs> Fun times. Uh, the Wonder King likes him so much. Anywho, we'll get out of Dodger now, but uh, just p- p- before we go, basically you can find us again real quick. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Twitter.com forward slash well, Motorsport underscore 101, I should say. Sorry about that. Um, personal handles at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King. Our website, Motorsport101.com. Two Drake the Races articles up since then. Probably a third by the time this goes out. I'm playing catch up um, with Walt. Superbikes at Thailand, Formula One in Australia, and MotoGP in Qatar. They'll all be on the website by then. So get all your blog fixes in with me up over there on the blog section of motorsport101.com. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to these shows before they go out. $10 gets you into our Discord supporters club for exclusive chats and listening to these shows live as they go out. Uh, again, big thanks to Resi and Cam for sticking around all the way through. Hope you guys enjoyed the show tonight. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan King and RJ O'Connor. We'll see you next week for the IndyCar Classic at the Circuit of the Americas and Formula E. Until then, thanks for listening, and sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye! And to whom it may concern, Saucy Rossi 27 is still a weird game attack. (laughs) It'll never not be weird, and I love it. (laughs) Hipster.